Well, good evening and welcome again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm Mark Dennis, your host, and I have, again, as I do each week with me this evening, Francis Harry, my co-host. Francis, how are you? Good evening. A little wet, a little dark and a little wet, but, yeah. you know, purifying, right? Yeah, we uh, we had a rough day here in Dayton, Ohio, and I think, unfortunately, Francis, we're in for another rough day tomorrow. And then that'll be followed by a day of snow, so we have that to look forward to. That'll be great. Oh, yes, it'll help us to appreciate all the seasons. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, since we just celebrated Thanksgiving, I'll ask you, Francis, how was your weekend? Oh, it was a pretty good weekend. I got to go to Illinois and visit with relatives that I don't get to see very often, so um, I was really grateful to be with them and see the beauty of nature on that seven-hour drive there and be filled with turkey. So how about you? Uh, likewise, it was great. It was a terrific weekend. We had the kids in. We uh, actually did bre- uh, you know, broach the crowds on Friday and did a little shopping. Uh, and all my football teams won. So that's, that's, <laughs> You must have prayed hard. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much an ideal Thanksgiving. So it, it was very nice, actually. Um, well, let me ask if I can, as you do each week, Francis, and we certainly appreciate it. We we need to set ourselves right by putting ourselves before the Lord, and so I'd ask you to lead us in prayer before we begin this evening. Yes, this prayer comes from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, whom we're going to talk about tonight, and it's from a letter that she wrote to her sister, Marguerite, which we also called Guit. This was written in 1906, in the last year of her life. And she's regarding, um, the topic here is regarding the Holy Trinity in the heaven of your soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the Father overshadow you and place the cloud between you and the things of earth in order to keep you all his. May he impart his power to you that you may love him with a love stronger than death. May the word imprint upon your soul, as in a crystal, the image of his own beauty, so that you may be pure with his purity, lightsome with his light. May the Holy Spirit transform you into his mystic lyre, which in silence, beneath his divine touch, would give forth a glorious hymn to love. Then you will be the praise of his glory which it has been my dream to be on earth. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, I want to say again, of course, we started with Elizabeth last week, and I had uh, been waiting for a number of weeks before we were uh, ready to do this program. And uh, Francis, as you well know, uh, Blessed Elizabeth really is my favorite of the Carmelite saints. Uh, Not yet a saint, of course, but her cause uh, has gone forward. she is a blessed, and her writings um, are... I was surprised, actually, after I discovered her, to uh, realize how many other, uh, both Carmelites and um, even other uh, secular communities, friends of mine in other secular communities, had quite a devotion to her and really saw the depth in her writing. Her writings, of course, are somewhat limited. She didn't write extensively. Her reflections in her retreats are largely what we have of uh, her body of work, if you will, her theology, um, and then, of course, extensive letters. I said last week, 200-plus, uh, there are actually just over 300 letters uh, that she wrote and that were kept. Of course, there were many that were, were not kept, but uh, these are the, the body of work. And then we do have, although it's hard to get in the United States, there is uh, an effort underway with the um, Institute of Carmelite Studies to republish 
a third volume, which was originally done in France, and that is her early childhood and um, uh, into her teens, her diary. And her her poem. And her poem, yeah. Now, there is a book of her poems actually available. You can buy it, um, Barb of Fire. But it's expensive because it's out of print. It is expensive, you're right. Uh, Most of the works of Blessed Elizabeth are actually quite reasonable. Um, and I think, and I know both of us read uh, again for this evening, He is My Heaven by Jennifer Moorcroft, uh, The Life of Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she obviously had access uh, to a number of the sources that we just identified because she drew very uh, richly from the letters as well as the diary, as well as the principal text that we're going to sort of draw from this evening, and that's her Complete Works, Volume 1. And let us pray that they hurry up and get that volume published, because won't it be great to be able to read her diary? Well, in fact, if we could put in a little plug for all of you who are interested in reading more about Elizabeth, uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and call ICS or, or write them. Um, Which is Institute of Carmelite Institute Studies. Institute of Carmelite Studies, right. Write them and just say, hey, when is that uh, third volume of Elizabeth right. of the Trinity? Or email at icspublications.com. Come, I yeah. believe. And they'll hear the voice of, uh, of those of us who are very interested in, in uh, seeing that third volume, again, uh, published here in the state. So, um, again, we're drawing largely from what's called her complete works. It's just the first volume, volume one. And I did want to draw heavily from her writings this evening. So we're going to have a lot of quotes from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, but I think it's important uh, to let her speak in order to understand uh, the depth of uh, what I will continue to refer to as her theology. It's certainly consistent Catholic doctrine, uh, but her theology emphasizing something that we don't hear as much about, Francis, today, and that's this doctrine of the indwelling Trinity within our soul. Yes, and that's more than the presence of God around us, which I know we all believe, and we have a faith that God is in us, but she really goes to the heart of the matter in a way that others haven't. So, um, I encourage us all to get back to Elizabeth and read it for ourselves. Yeah, you know, it came up in um, this uh, Sunday's homily, at least in my uh, local parish, because, you know, we have now begun to implement the revised missile, and so we're dealing with the new language. uh, language. And one particular line that I think is challenging for a lot of people is where we use the word consubstantial with the Father. Of course, we're talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it leads to the inevitable questions about uh, the differences between God and ourselves, and uh, what does that mean uh, to us, who, as human beings, are both material beings, we have an intellect, and we also are spirit. We are spiritual beings. Unfortunately, that's the part of us that was most wounded and damaged in the garden, and we continue to live with that wound, if you will. It's carried on throughout uh, the body of Christ and through generation and generation. Um, and it is the area of our uh, human person that needs the most healing. Uh, we spend so much time, of course, worried about uh, the external uh, elements, either of our appearance or of our health or of our uh, material uh, um, surroundings and so forth. And what Elizabeth is telling us in all of her writings is we have to stop. We have to be silent. We have to turn off all those external voices, and we have to go back to the interior 
and listen to God in that silence. You know, Francis, I wanted to share with you, I was struck this weekend reading a text um, about uh, near-death experiences, and I don't want to go into a lengthy dialogue about near-death experiences. Let's accept the possibility that they happen without getting into a, a discussion about it. What's interesting about it is so many consistencies in these events, and one that's particularly striking is when people have these near-death experiences and they come into, if they in fact do, if they come into the presence of God or the presence of Jesus Christ, more often than not, they'll say, well, I was able to understand so much, I was able to grasp so much uh, teaching and knowledge in a matter of seconds without the Lord speaking the Word to me. In other words, it was simply communicated to me. Yeah, that's that infused knowledge, isn't yeah, it? exactly. And this is, ironically, this is exactly what Elizabeth is encouraging us uh, to dispose ourselves to. In other words, we don't have to have a near-death experience for the Lord to um, engage us and to communicate to us and to infuse knowledge, wisdom, understanding, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And virtue. Oh, good point. And so, yes, we and we can get to that by devoting ourselves to prayer each and every day and prayer that is intimate and one-on-one and is focused and attentive and, and contemplative that that's exactly right and that's her uh, mission of course we talked about this last week where we said part of Elizabeth's schooling as a musician prepared her for one this ability to listen and, and to uh, pick up on the subtleties if you will the nuances of the music she was playing some very complex music uh, but nonetheless it trained her um, uh, ear and her mind to be able to focus and she was able to then transmit that very teaching into the way that she entered prayer. She was very focused. She sought solitude, and she sought silence in her prayer. I'm glad you brought up that point about the nuances and the music, because that's exactly where I had come to uh, thinking about her and the nuances of the words in Scripture. It was like she was doing a Lectio Divina, you know, and just, you know, pouring forth all these nuances to us and was giving them more fruitfulness than maybe we had seen before. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it brings me back to a line I remember Ralph Martin uh, saying one time with regard to mental prayer, moving from vocal to mental prayer. Um, and he said, mental prayer is nothing more than focused prayer. You know, it's being aware. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of tuning in. And, of course, when we're talking about Elizabeth and contemplative prayer, she's bringing an intensity to her listening and to her awareness that, in fairness, is... Uh, far removed from what many of us experience in prayer, but nonetheless the teaching is there. It's like well, a laser light. Yeah, yeah. She's she's. Uh, I don't want to say she's turned off all the noises, because actually, quite frankly, it's just the opposite. Like Therese of Lisieux taught us in our previous series, she's taken all those influences in, but she's just um, uh, brought them into her experience of God. So it's not a resistance, it's not a rejection. I mean, God brings everything in our life with us in prayer. Um, He's not telling us, well, you know, just turn off what you did five years ago or turn off the noisy brother-in-law or, you know, whatever the case might be. No, 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 bring all of that into your prayer, and I will help you silence that. I will help you see how it all fits as part of the master plan, if you will. But you've got to be willing to take that time to enter into silence. Yes, very good point. 
Well, let's pick up. We we sort of left Elizabeth at the the door of the car. Mall <laughs> yeah, entering, week. knocking uh, at the door. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, uh, both uh, Francis and I looked at each other and realized we were running out of time. Of course, that'll happen when you're talking about uh, one of your favorite um, uh, saints. And uh, we sort of left Elizabeth at the door of the car. Mall, and I want to just pick up the story quickly. Um, actually, before she enters, she has um, some time that she spends with a father valet. Uh, a French diocesan priest who, uh, as it turned out, is uh, very well-schooled, a spiritual master of his own time. And she is able to go to confession to him. He confirms for her that she's never lost her baptismal grace, which was very important to her, and she'd suffered scruples. We talked about that. But she says something rather amazing to him, because Elizabeth, we must remember, was not schooled in uh, theology. She was a um, a well-read, very well-educated a young lady, but she wasn't deeply schooled in theology, and she said something that Father Valet picked up on, and she said, I feel as though I'm being dwelt within, mm-hmm, that there's yeah. a presence within me, and for her to be able to identify that reality, that doctrinal um, a truth, without really being able to explain it, I thought was fascinating. And so what does Father Valet give her as a quote to justify and explain uh, exactly what it is that, that she's experiencing? Oh, well, it comes from 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Yeah, and this really struck Elizabeth because of what we talked about last week. Again, Francis, you remember we said her name in Hebrew means... The house of God, right. The house of God. So she put those two, um, um, you know, experiences together. And it really began to work on her. Of course, this is just before she enters Carmel. Um, but but the point is, we've really got to spend some time getting back to this understanding of the reality, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Trinity. We have within us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. We have within us the Trinity. And unfortunately for many of us, and I certainly include myself in that, we spend so much of our day without tapping into that energy, without tapping into that source, without reaching in and, and finding the peace, the consolation, uh, the confirmation, uh, the guidance that we need to, to conduct our lives and to bring us along this path to salvation. Right. And we all have the presence of God in us because we are His creation. But in the sense that we are baptized, we are baptized into the Holy Trinity, so in the fullness of the life of Christ. So uh, she is a great example of uh, living out this sacrament of baptism, and not just, you know, it's an, a sacrament that we went through when we were young and we're done and over. No, she she brings this into fullness, as in living this uh, life in the Trinity throughout. Yeah, and I want to go back, and we may have asked this question, Francis, last week, I forget, but um, I would ask each of us to challenge ourselves on this a particular question. Think about your own prayer life and think about how much time in your prayer life is spent focused on those things that are external to your life, not not uh, apart from your life. I'm saying that are part of the exterior of your life, your, cha- your, your, your children, your family, your work, your schooling, uh, your physical health, your uh, mental state of being. These are all the externals. These are outside, if you will, of the center of our soul, which is the spirit. How much of our prayer life do we spend there? And Elizabeth's saying, no matter how much it is, we've got to get back to dwelling in the interior 
where the Lord is. And here's the interesting thing. As we go through the stages of prayer, we talk about um, vocal prayer. We talk about mental prayer, using the mind. But if we go back to this analogy of the near-death experience and God's ability to impart to us blessing and grace and mercy and gifts in silence, wouldn't that be the place where we would most want to get to? In other words, not skipping over the gifts he's given us in our ability to listen, to speak, and to reason with our minds. But ultimately, we have to enter into silence because that's where God really speaks to us. Right. And you know, if we think about it, um, when we last prayed, where were we putting God? And I know for the longest time, I, I really, even though what I read was that he was within, I'm still thinking God up there somewhere, you know, or when somebody asks you, where is God? The answer was, well, all around me, everywhere. Um, but to really concentrate on God within, within your soul, I mean, that's really particular. And, and I'm, I just know it is full of gifts, so I challenge all of our listeners tonight. When you go to pray tonight, just really try to focus on God within your heart, within your soul. Um, he's sitting on the throne of your heart. And just look at him and love him. Yeah, I want to use an, uh, a great phrase, and I think it was Cardinal Newman, now blessed Cardinal Newman, uh, who said this. He said, we need to stop trying to escape. Our prayer is not about escape. It's about inscape. We have to turn inward. We have to go back inside enter into the kingdom. It doesn't mean reject the world, by the way. We know uh, we have to work on uh, detachment and so forth, but he's not saying, nor is Elizabeth, reject the world and just turn in on yourself. What he's saying is go to the source, and, and certainly what Elizabeth is teaching us is go to the source. I want you to picture this in your own mind, and Francis, you're familiar. We've used these sort of um, uh, methods of prayer in the past, if you will. Picture within yourself the kingdom, a kingdom, with all of the beauty of a kingdom. There are castles and lakes and mountains and valleys and sunshine, unending light uh, and beauty. That dwells within you. That physically dwells within each and every one of us. And we so often um, avoid taking the time to go into that kingdom. And that's where the Lord is really calling us. That's where the Lord is wanting to speak to us in that still, small voice. Uh, that we know Elijah heard where uh, the Lord was able to communicate things that at the end of the day, and the writing we're taking uh, most of the quotes from this evening is called Heaven and Faith, and there's significance in that. Heaven is found in our faith, and our faith comes not by intellectually knowing all the things that resolve the issues in our life, but knowing in our heart that the Lord is dwelling within us, that he's ultimately working out our salvation through and with us, and that he has our best interest at mind throughout the course of our entire life. Um, and so heaven in faith says, I've got to dwell in an unknowing. We could talk about the cloud of unknowing, but pointedly what we're talking about is we actually know things more securely with our heart than we ever will with our mind. Yeah, I read something lately where it was talking about, you know, you, you can't um, put God in your mind. I mean, you can't limit him because he's infinite. So your mind will never be able to know God in his fullness. However, your heart can grasp him. Your heart can grasp him. And we say to ourselves, you know, we we use the unfortunate uh, sometimes uh, uh, 
minimization of this idea of the heart and even of the word love in our modern society. We're not talking about the heart as in, you know, what's emotionally reactive to the experience of love and so on and so forth. We're talking about the heart as the very center of the being, where mm-hmm. truth resides, where all truth resides. And in that place within each and every one of us, we truly can know God. Right. Can we explain it? No. In fact, the greatest saints say to us, oh, I can't explain it. John of the cross says to us, it's uh, I don't know what, you know, and, he, <laughs> and he, he leaves it with that. When we come to know God in that interior, in that silence, in that intimacy, we won't necessarily be able to explain it, but we'll know it more surely than if it were a formula, a mathematical formula mapped out in front of us. We'll know it more surely than that. And uh, and our faith can ascend to this because of Scripture, because from Luke seventeen twenty one, we have, the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah, what a powerful statement. You know, the Lord didn't throw that out as a uh, as sort of an afterthought. It wasn't, oh, I'll just say this. I mean, we have to dwell on Scripture. We have to take time to really, and of course Elizabeth did. If there's one thing Elizabeth knew quite well, actually, it was Scripture. Yes, her, with that phenomenal memory of hers, I think she probably had all of uh Paul's letters probably memorized. <laughs> yeah, of course, Paul was her, her favorite, and much like John of the Cross, uh, St. John of the Cross could quote Scripture quite uh, freely oh, and, and yeah. draw directly from the Old Testament and the New Testament, very well-schooled in Scripture. We need to get back, John Paul II said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Oh, uh, yeah. And, of course, our current Holy Father is a master of Scripture uh, and knows, uh, uh, knows that he needs to communicate uh, the messages of Scripture to us uh, that that we need to spend more time with it. Well, one more quote from Scripture, as long as we're on that, and that's John 15:4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So what does this abiding in me mean for Elizabeth, and what does it mean for us as contemplative as well? Uh, let's draw from He is my heaven. Uh, again, Jennifer Moorcroft's text. I'm reading from page 84, and all she's doing is capturing one of Elizabeth's letters. All right. Would you read that? Yes, this is a paragraph from Elizabeth. Let us live with God as with a friend. Let us make our faith a living faith in order to be in communion with him through everything, for that is what makes saints. We possess our heaven within us, since he who satisfies the hunger of the glorified in the light of vision gives himself to us in faith and mystery. It is the same one. It seems to me I have found my heaven on earth, since heaven is God and God is in my soul. The day I understood that, everything became clear to me. I I hope everything became clear to our listeners right then. (laughs) Wouldn't that be the great grace? (laughs) Yeah, that would be a great grace. Unfortunately, it probably takes a little more time than that. But this is what Elizabeth is saying. She says, and I think it's important that we point out, she says, the day that it became clear to me. Now, this didn't become clear to her instantly. In fact, we're reading, Francis, from her 122nd letter out of Carmel. So this is you know, near on halfway uh, through the time that she spent in Carmel. So this took some time even for her to grasp. But important, we just said this, and we must have been prophetic, uh, Francis, <laughs> as we did so. Um, he who satisfies the hunger of the glorified in the light of vision gives himself to us in faith and mystery. We're given the Lord in faith and mystery. What does that mean? We're not necessarily going to be able to intellectually articulate the experience that we might have in contemplative prayer. It is an interior knowing. 
It is a imparting of grace and mercy and wisdom and blessing. But when it happens, and it will happen, listeners, I assure you, if you spend time with the Lord, He will never disappoint. When it happens, you'll know. You'll experience it. And there'll be more uh, confirmation of that event than anything, as I said before, uh, that could be proven to you even in a mathematical formula. Well, let me just quickly, before we take our break here, one more quote from Scripture, and then, Francis, I'm going to ask if you'd read the next uh, letter that is on the following page. Uh, in John 4, 10 and 14, Jesus uh, is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. We need to ask for that living water. Yes. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what does Elizabeth have to say about this particular verse? All right, this is how she expressed herself in our letter about that topic. Oh, how powerful over souls is the apostle who remains always at the spring of living waters. Then he can overflow without his soul ever becoming empty since he lives in communion with the infinite. I am praying fervently for you that God may invade all the powers of your soul, that he may make you live in communion with his whole mystery, that everything in you may be divine and marked with his seal, so that you may be another Christ working for the glory of the Father. And don't forget, we said this last week at the beginning of the program, Elizabeth's mission is to do exactly this for those who ask her. She believes it is her mission. She knew it was her mission to draw us out of ourselves and then to enter back in to experience this. Well, we uh, appreciate your listening to Carmelite Conversations. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go into a little bit more of Elizabeth's letters and talk about this indwelling of the Trinity. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. In Louisiana on 580 AM KJNJ in Alexandria, 1360 AM KNIR in New Iberia, 91.1 FM KOJO in Lake Charles, 89.7 FM KBIO in Natchitoches, in Mississippi, on 88.1 FM WOLM in D'Iberville. In Ohio, on 1600 AM WULM in Springfield. 88.7 FM WHJM in Anna. In Pennsylvania, on 88.1 FM WHHN in Hollidaysburg. In Texas, on 1250 AM KDEI in Port Arthur. And in Wisconsin, on 91.3 FM WRMW in Peshtigo. You can also listen to us worldwide on the Internet, www.radiomaria.us.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations with Mark Danis. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Myself and Francis Harry are having a wonderful time, actually, even on the break. And we hope you are, too. <laughs> <laughs> having our conversation about Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, uh, really a great teacher in the area of contemplative prayer. And I would go further and uh, say, of course, I've said on this uh, uh, series uh, and, and this program many times. Uh, for me, St. John of the Cross is is the ideal teacher and spiritual director. John, of course, is very uh, academic and intellectual, and he gives a very systematic, uh, sort of, yeah, a very systematic and deliberate explanation of the spiritual journey. Uh, Elizabeth 
fills in all the gaps for me in terms of uh, the experience and the intimacy and how do we get to that level. Of course, Teresa uh, of Avila does just such a wonderful job in giving us method um, and helping us, I think, more so than John and more so than Elizabeth, helping us integrate prayer with daily life. Yeah. Uh, John, of course, didn't spend a lot of time talking about acts of charity and, and so on and so forth. And Elizabeth, uh, both because she was uh, uh, behind the walls of the convent um, and spent so much time in silence, she doesn't deal with those interactions as much, but she absolutely deals with what happens to us, what must we do, how do we dispose ourselves to enter into that silence, and I think she's uh, just a wonderful teacher for that. So let's pick up on a theme that we actually touched on just a moment ago before the break, um, and that was the scripture verse, uh, Remain in Me, and she has a wonderful quote, Francis. would you mind reading that quote from uh, the Volume 1 uh, works? Okay, and we have to remember that the words remain in me is scriptural. Those, right. That's a command of the Lord. So uh, here's the quote. Remain in me. It is the word of God who gives this order, expresses this wish. Remain in me, not for a few moments, a few hours, which must, which must pass away, but remain permanently, habitually. Remain in me, pray in me, adore in me, love in me, suffer in me, work and act in me. Yeah, so Elizabeth has really taken Paul's uh, admonition, pray without ceasing, right? Mm -hmm. And she's elevated it through Christ's own words, remain in me. And we put it with her name, you know, indwelling within, you know. Exactly, right. And she said, um, the Lord is there, the kingdom is within. Now listen, we should have made this point, I think it's a good one. Uh, we need to remember that our names are not entirely accidental, right? Right, Francis? right. We know Nothing's that, an accident. Yeah, or <laughs> Our names have meaning. And, of course, in Elizabeth's uh, particular situation, her name had very great significance for the mission that she was given to the Church. And, in fact, she wanted to be named Elizabeth of Jesus. And when she was given the name in Carmel... Elizabeth of the Trinity. At first she was disappointed, but she came to embrace it so beautifully. How prophetic, you know? (laughs) And I say that only because I think it's important that we take some time to reflect on our own names, our our names, most of which have a Hebrew origin, or there's a Greek or some historical origin. Um, Find out what that origin is and spend a little time dwelling on your name. It may well be that your mission in life is wrapped up in your name. Uh, But it certainly was true for Elizabeth. The importance of that is she understood the significance of this, um, these two scripture verses from Paul, pray without ceasing, and from Christ, remain in me. She's not just saying here, um, you know, pray without ceasing and, and repeat a uh, continuous prayer in your mind, or, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the use of, for example, the Jesus prayer. She's not just saying that. She's saying, no, no, no. Christ is within. We're going to talk, actually, in the last week about this indwelling of Christ literally living his life, his earthly life, through us. Uh, but for this evening, let's just focus on what she's, what she's uh, counseling us here. Remain in me, perpetually remain in me, through work, through suffering, through sleep, through tiredness, through frustration. Remain in me, not Oh, I'm going to do my 30 minutes of prayer now. Oh, I'm going to Mass today. Oh, I'm going to um, uh, participate in acts of charity. Remain in me perpetually. 
Yes. Without ceasing. Yes. Uh, what's her next quote that well, builds on this? Well, she says, in order to understand this very mysterious thing, we must not, so to speak, stop at the surface, but enter ever deeper into the divine being through recollection. Through recollection. And I know, Frances, this is one of her favorite topics. <laughs> yes, uh, because Teresa of Avila taught us about recollection, and that is basically, you know, uh, closing your eyes and and your ears and your senses and going within to be with him. Uh, it, and I remember her, her example was like the turtle drawing within and the, into the cell of his turtle shell, you know. And we can draw within uh, to be with Christ within. Yeah, and this is an important point. Again, we said this earlier, and I want to reemphasize this about recollection. What, In fact, we perhaps should wait for Elizabeth's next quote because she talks about this, but I, I don't want to miss this one point. Recollection is about recollecting, right? Uh, recollecting our, what? Our thoughts, our images, our emotions, yeah. our our um, impressions, our senses. Uh, yeah, everything has to be brought back in and back into order. Now, Brother Lawrence would say we're trying to reunify our person, both material and spiritual, but it's bringing everything back in. And soak it in the divine ocean. And putting it at the disposal of the Lord. That's right. We spend so much time shooting off in different directions throughout the course of the day and allowing ourselves to be drawn off course through either our emotions or through thoughts that might distract us or through um, dwelling on the past or whatever the case might be. And Elizabeth says we've got to bring all of that back in. We've got to bring it all back into the submission of Christ and remain in him. And then what does she say next? She says, This act is not an external separation from external things, but a solitude of spirit, a detachment from all that is not God. Yeah, a solitude of spirit. So let's spend just a moment talking about solitude. And this is actually, Francis, as you know, we spent a fair amount of time talking about this in our Carmelite community. She's, we've said uh, silence solitude, simplicity, all of these are important. They lead to serenity at, at, at some point within the heart. But let's understand solitude in its spiritual sense. This is not simply solitude in the context of being alone. That's how we typically think of solitude, right? I'm oh. solitary, I'm alone. And that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm singular, if you will. But here she draws from the teachings of John of the Cross where he talks about bringing the emotions of joy and sorrow fear, and hope, which he contends are really the, the full complement of the emotions that we might experience. And she's saying, bring all of that into one. In other words, fear is not experienced because of concern over our you know, physical health. A joy is not experienced because we won the lottery. Uh, hope is not engaged in because we hope to win you know, the, the, the heart of the woman we love or the, the new job or whatever. Everything is brought back into recollection in relationship to Jesus Christ. So all of the things that would otherwise draw us out of that solitude are brought back in, so everything is focused back on Jesus Christ. You know, Kierkegaard, the, the great philosopher, had this wonderful saying, um, and, and there are great things about Kierkegaard, and there are some differences in terms of the way he approaches uh, the faith, but um, most Catholics capitalize on this one comment from Kierkegaard. Purity of heart, he said, is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Think about the discipline and the focus it takes to will 
only one thing. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Elizabeth's talking about. Yeah, to put it in a worldly sense, you can think of those Olympians who are trying to win that gold medal. And here we have something much more lasting that's eternal. It's yeah. heaven on earth. And, and you're, that's a great analogy because what does an Olympian do? They're sleep, they're eating, they're exercise, their relationships, uh, you know, the, the, the types of activities. They all have to be centered and focused on that one thing. And that's exactly what Elizabeth's saying is bring everything back under the rule of Christ and make everything, uh, um, you know, sort of fit in the context of that relationship with Christ. And then, she says, you can begin, you'll begin to enter that silence and solitude. You won't achieve this in the first hour, day, or week, or month, or year, perhaps, uh, according to St. Teresa of Avila. It could take many years, uh, but this is the work that has to be done in contemplation. What else does she have to say to us, though, on this subject? On simplicity? Um, she says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. What is this single eye of which the Master speaks? But this simplicity of intention, which gathers into unity all the scattered forces of the soul and unites the spirit itself to God. And then she goes on, it is the principle and end of virtues, their splendor and their glory. I call simplicity of intention that which seeks only God and refers all things to him. This is what places man in the presence of God. It is simplicity that gives what, um, excuse me, it is simplicity that gives him light and courage. It is simplicity that empties and frees the soul from all fear today and on the day of judgment. Yeah, so we're back to the three S's again. Solitude, uh, silence we've talked about extensively. We'll pick up on that in a moment. But this idea of simplicity, again, you know, we've said, Francis, on this program many times, simplicity. Well, okay, what does that mean? Simplify your life. Get rid of the things you don't need. Move away from the television a little bit. Maybe get rid of the Xbox. Maybe get rid of the iPad. Maybe, you know, don't be uh, running off to the movies every week or whatever it is that we could do in our own lives to simplify our lives. Yes, that's the material experience that trains us in the work of simplicity. But now Elizabeth's saying something much more. She's saying, look, if anything draws you out of that serenity, that peace, that relationship with the Lord. If anything draws you out, you're out of simplicity. She's saying simplicity is when all of that is drawn in, all of the trials, all of the victories, all of the joys, all of the, the challenges that we face, all come under the submission of Christ. And they're viewed in the context of, I am a child of God, God is watching out for me, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Read yourself those scripture verses, memorize them, and feed your mind with them again and again and again, because that's the only way that we can move it from the mouth through the mind to the heart and know, I don't care that chaos is around me, I am a child of God. Right. And it reminds me of what Christ said, my, my food is to do the will of the, my Father. To do the will of my Father, exactly. Right. Yeah. So... Okay, well, does that lead us... Oh, oh, I know what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, you know, one of the greatest models of this simplicity is our Blessed Mother, the yes. Virgin Mary. Yes. And, you know, how simple a life. There's such a simplicity about her that we don't have very many of her words, do we? And we do have this great uh, scripture verse about her, of course. She pondered all these things in her heart. Yeah. This comes up twice, of course. It comes up uh, with regard to the visit from Gabriel, mm -hmm. uh, and then it comes up again when Christ is lost and found and returns to Jerusalem to be obedient, and it says in Scripture, Luke, 
says, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. In one instance it says pondered, another it says kept. But the point is, why her heart? Why mm-hmm. her heart? Because that's where she understood, I don't need to understand. Mm. I don't need to have Oh, yeah, don't ask, don't ask why, <laughs> just ask how. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, again, when we hear the word heart in Scripture, it's not just referring to, uh, you know, that the beating of our heart or an emotional reaction to our circumstances. It's the very center, the very core of our being, where truth resides in the soul, and there is where we come to know the living God. And in this case, of course, with Mary, it is that she kept all these things in her heart, and Elizabeth saying to us, when we use Mary as our model, when we let ourselves be taught by our mother, and we learn to keep all things in our heart, we will find the serenity that the Blessed Mother lived her life with. And then with her, we can offer that resounding prayer, fiat. Yes. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, here's what Elizabeth says, too, about uh, our each and every day for, for each one of us. She says, each incident, each event... Each suffering, as well as each joy, is a sacrament, which gives God to it. So it no longer makes a distinction between these things. It surmounts them, goes beyond them to rest in its master above all things. In many ways, this is a central um, message from Elizabeth. This very right, I'm going to ask you to read it again, Francis, because there is so much packed into those, what is it, two sentences, I Mm -hmm. think? Uh, There is just so much there. All right, I'm going to have to add one more sentence, though, too. Okay. Um, each incident, each event, each suffering, as well as each joy, is a sacrament which gives God to it, so it no longer makes a distinction between these things. It surmounts them, goes beyond them to rest in its master above all things. It exalts him high on the mountain of its heart. Yeah, no, we could go back to our catechism and understand the elements of what make up the sacrament. I won't test you if you don't. Please don't. <laughs> okay, it's a, a sign instituted by Christ to give a gift or grace, right? And so what Elizabeth is saying to us here is everything in your life has the potential to be a gift and to impart grace. Everything. Not, oh, except for this, you know, I'd be, I'd be receiving, oh, but that. Well, this was a great joy, and thank you, Lord, but, I mean, there's no grace. So, no, everything she's saying comes under the, the, the headship of Christ, good, bad, whatever we view it, it doesn't matter. And she says, she says something here that's so powerful. We don't judge. We don't make a judgment. We don't sit there. This is where she uses that phrase, um, you know, for, for a contemplative to sit and measure whether something is good or bad, or whether this is a positive or a negative. And of course, we all do this, Francis. My wife can attest to the fact that I do this on a daily basis, but I'm trying. The point is, if we judge, if we evaluate, if we measure, then we have scattered our forces. We're no longer that single eye. Our eye has been clouded, or it's been distracted. Our emotions have gotten involved. Something has pulled us outside of our simplicity, our solitude, and our silence. Now, does that sound like a hard thing to do? Yes. Man, this is a hard. <laughs> this is not an easy thing. This is not, you know, theology for the faint of heart here. But but, but Elizabeth is going to tell us what she, she did. She is going to tell All us. All right, so here's what she advises. All right, are you listening? All right, here we go. You must build a little cell within your soul as I do. Remember that God is there and enter it from time to time. When you feel nervous or you're unhappy, 
Quickly seek refuge there and tell the master all about it. Ah, if you got to know him a little, prayer wouldn't bore you anymore. To me, it seems to be rest, relaxation. We come quite simply to the one we love, stay close to him like a little child in the arms of its mother, and we let our heart go. You used to love sitting very close to me and telling me your secrets. That is just how you must go to him. If only you knew how well he understands. You wouldn't suffer anymore if you understood that. You know, Mark, I have to say, I remember when Dr. DeMont told me in the Cincinnati community, the OCDS, he told me, because I was a mother with, with two little ones at the time, and of course I must have looked pretty worn out and wearied that day, he told me, you must build a cell within the soul of your heart. And I'm like, oh, and, he, and then he explained it to me. I'm like, thank you, Dr. DeMont. I'm so grateful because I grasped onto that and I've latched on, and now here's Elizabeth, you know, really fleshing it out for me. Yeah, this actually is a great teaching from Catherine of Siena. She talks about this, the need to build that cell within our heart that we can... I don't want to use the word escape because Elizabeth has said to us, and it's very clear now, she uses another phrase, and I don't think we identified it as part of the series of quotes for this evening, but in her writing she talks about um, as a soul begins to move down this path and, and begins to, let's be fair, get some spiritual maturity... Um, they start worrying less about the detachment and, and the uh, you know, self-effacing they have to go through, and more they worry about plunging themselves into the flame of love. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is what Elizabeth is talking about here in our prayer life, and again, we're focused on contemplative prayer, it is not so much about what we run away from, what we uh, try to detach ourselves from. It's what we move towards. It's how we're drawn towards that flame of love, towards that center, towards that silence. And when we start moving towards something and less away from something, it's an indication that we've begun to make some real progress in our contemplative prayer life. Yes, I agree with you. So where does that lead us next? Well, uh, let's go to this uh, next quote of hers. I think this is important. Actually, you pointed out to me this is St. Albert's. Uh, quote uh, on page 104. Okay, this is from St. Albert the Great. Well, but later it was traced back to a Benedictine monk named Jean de Castel. Uh, here's what Elizabeth says. Uh, she's quoting. Uh, uh, let me preface this because I think it's important. You know, we oftentimes ask ourselves, well, how should I spend my day? Or if I, let's say I'm on the spiritual journey, and I, what's most beneficial for me? What's most important for me? Uh, you know, I've got to maintain my fitness. I've got to fulfill my responsibilities in life. I've got to worry about, uh, you know, one in a million things. But what's most important for a contemplative who's trying to uh, uh, reach that level of intimacy with the Lord that Elizabeth is talking about, this very high level? And here's what she says, drawing from St. Albert the Great. She, she's quoting him. The highest perfection in this life, says a pious author, consist in remaining so closely united to God that the soul, with all its faculties and its powers, is recollected in God, that its affections, united in the joy of love, find rest only in possession of the Creator. The image of God imprinted in the soul is formed by reason, memory, and will. As long as these faculties do not bear the perfect image of God, they do not resemble Him as on the day of creation. The form of the soul is God, who must imprint himself there like the seal on wax, like the stamp on its object. 
Yeah, so we're back to this teaching that we drew, Francis, from St. John of the Cross, right? right? The teaching of the perfection of the intellect, the memory, and the will. Now, uh, we have to remind ourselves, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, grace perfects our nature. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't uh, minimize it. It doesn't destroy it in any way. It is perfected. What's our nature? It's our intellect, it's our memory, and it's our will. Intellect, the power to reason, is perfected through what virtue? Humility. A uh, faith. No, I'm uh, sorry. I, you were, I, I you was were. facing out on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was guessing. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> okay, well, Did he catch you too, Lizer? <laughs> let's go to round two. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, the intellect, of course, is perfected by faith. What does that mean? That when my intellect is overcome and it no longer has the ability to understand, then I have to rely on faith? No. We said before, faith, if we move to the heart, faith gives us the ability to know more than that mathematical formula written out in front of us. It lifts our understanding so I can look, um, you know, a non-believer in the eye and say, I know. How do you know? Well, I can give you the proofs of God. And I can, well, yeah, but I, how do you know? I know because I have faith. At the end of the day, we have to rely on uh, that understanding which comes from the heart, not limited by the mind because God's not limited by our limited intellect. Faith perfects our intellect. Okay, Memory. Okay. <laughs> memory. Keep going, Mark. You're on a good roll. We only uh, have a few minutes. Our so memory well. is perfected by what? Go ahead. By hope. Memory is perfected by hope, the virtue of hope. What's that mean? All of our collective experience tends to draw us back. And again, we judge and we evaluate, oh, is it good, is it bad, blah, blah, blah. And, and memory tends to give us predictors as to what should happen in the future. But, of course, it doesn't. What we have to rely on is hope. Hope is that desire for the kingdom. Last and most important, the will. The will. And the will is perfected by love, charity. Absolutely. I finally got one. <laughs> but Mark is doing a great job of explaining this. Well, this is this is the the centerpiece, of course, of all of the, um, uh, the Carmelite as well as the Catholic teaching. We are perfected in love. We are perfected in the simple practice of patience, kindness, and participation in our own sanctification. That's the will. All right, the last thing. Now we'll ha- we'll let Elizabeth tell us what it is that gets us there, and then we'll pick up on this theme next week. But uh, from page 109 of okay. her uh, works, paragraph 37, what does she say Hint. gets us there? <laughs> Humility. <laughs> if anyone should affirm to me that to find the bottom of the abyss is to be immersed in humility, I would not contradict him. Yeah. Humility, as she knows from uh, Teresa of Avila, of course, Humility is what brings us into all of this. To be plunged in humility is to be plunged into God. I like that. Yeah, and that's where God can really do his work, in our intellect, memory, and will. Because he's all. He's our all. He's our strength. He's our life. He's our love. He's our light. Like she says, life, light, love, and light. Well, again, we've run out of time. It was great, uh, Francis, enjoying this conversation with you. Next week we're going to talk about that theme that I mentioned, and that's how Christ actually lives his life uh, in us and through us. Uh, as part of, as members of the body of Christ. But until then, we thank you again for joining Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Catholic voice in your home. God bless you all.